Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Justice and mercy, you see, met in Joseph. And it's interesting that, well, the father would choose this man, Joseph, to raise his son, Jesus. Not Joseph's, the father, God the Father's son. Because mercy and justice, they, they meet in Jesus. The one who was absolutely merciful so much so that he can say, I forgive all your sins, go and sin no more. Today, Pastor Sam completes his message, A Miraculous Birth, and we look at the final seven verses of Matthew 1. It is important we don't just see this as a story that we break out at Christmas. We need to see not just the nature of his coming, but the purpose of his coming as well. Let's listen in. Jesus came, and he's identified here as a ruler. Now, if he's not your ruler, your shepherd, well, he will be your judge. And the amazing thing is, he lets you make the choice. If you read the book of Revelation, and I highly recommend it, even if you're not a Christian, read Revelation and understand that once you get past the first two, three chapters, you are looking at future history. You are looking at history in advance. And as you get into especially chapter six on, and the seals are broken and the trumpets blow and the vials are poured out. Hey, it is Jesus breaking the seals, pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And he will either be your Lord, your shepherd, or he will be your judge. The other thing that we're given here is the word shepherd, and I love that. He will shepherd my people Israel. John 10 identifies Jesus as the good shepherd. And Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, for his sheep. It's a past work, a done deal. Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for us. But there's a present work that he continues to do, and that's recorded for us in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, where we're told the great shepherd is now maturing us and perfecting us and completing us, working in us, transforming us. So past the good shepherd, present the great shepherd, and then future the chief shepherd. And I've got to read it to you because it applies not just to pastors and elders and teachers and such. It applies to all who shepherd God's flock, who watch over his sheep. Parents, that's you. Big brothers and sisters, that's you, spiritually and physically. The elders who were among you, I exhort you, who am a fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, and here's the promise, see, the good shepherd, his work for us in the past, on the cross, suffering and dying, shedding his blood for our sins. The, the um, great shepherd working in us, transforming us, making us into someone more like him. Now the chief shepherd, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is a wonderful picture. Get it. We know that when we 
worship before him there in heaven. We will cast our crowns at his feet and we will sing, you are worthy for you have redeemed us from every nation and kindred and tongue and people. You are worthy, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. But get this, get this. The chief shepherd is going to give us a crown that we can't cast off, a crown of glory. It will be a symbol of the reality that we are in him and with him and a glory to him for eternity. So when people come and say, I am the Christ or I am God or I believe there are many Christs or I believe there are many roads and they will come and Jesus said they would. Here's what you say. Well, are you and can you prove you're the son of David? Are you and can you prove you're a son of Abraham? Are you, in fact, the only begotten Son of God? Are you the Christ, the only Savior? Are you Jesus? Are you Emmanuel, God with us? Are you the King of the Jews? Are you the ruler who leads and judges? Are you the good shepherd, the chief shepherd? Are you the, the great shepherd? Listen, they are none of those. And when people come saying, all you got to do is say, let me, let me show you something. You don't even have to get past Matthew 1 and 2 because you have nine things now that you can say, look, these are absolute qualifications and we're not done. No, it gets even better. The birth of Christ, we read in verse 18, was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Betrothal? More than an engagement, less than our marriage. It was a year period where there was actually a legal contract between not just the couple, but the parents saying these two would be wed. Now, it wouldn't be to the wedding day and the consummation of the marriage that they were, well, married in the sense that we understand the word. But the betrothal was so serious that to break it, well, it required a certificate of divorce. It was so serious that to commit immorality outside of it, well, it could lead to stoning. And so betrothed, well, it was a big thing in that day. And here's Joseph. He meets young Mary, loves Mary, most likely a gal of 15 or 16 years old, the common age for marriage in that day and in that culture. He's expecting to marry her sometime in the very near future. And the word comes that she is pregnant. Now we get a little bit about Joseph, something exceedingly important about Joseph. But, but let's stop and contemplate for a moment what it says. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. That word before, exceedingly important. Log it, we'll come back to it. Jesus, well, we know who he is and what that means now. But now we need to consider how he came and what that means. Jesus came miraculously. And what we mean by that is, well, the time of his birth was prophesied by Daniel. The place of his birth was prophesied by Micah. The manner of his birth was prophesied by Isaiah, saying, A virgin shall be with child. Now, 
Some have tried to get into an argument in this issue, and you may come across people that bring it up. That's why I share it with you. To say, well, the word in the Old Testament that was translated there in the Hebrew, translated virgin, can be young maiden. It doesn't have to mean virgin. And you need to know that because people use that argument to say, well, maybe Jesus wasn't virgin born. But when they translated the Old Testament into Greek some 200 years before Christ, in Greek, the common language of that day, they picked a word that could only mean virgin. What does that mean? That the Jews believed, Isaiah was telling us, that the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, that he would be virgin born. Well, not, not only did they believe it, that's what Isaiah was saying. That's why they believed it. Now, as to Joseph's character, verse 19 says, Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. A just man. You know, a strong sense of justice is a wonderful thing. There are far too many people today who have no sense of right or wrong or what's just or proper. But oftentimes, justice, well, almost at all times, justice needs to be tempered with mercy. And here's why. If I have a very strong sense of what's right and what's wrong, and it's cut and dry for me, I can be, well, a little bit judgmental and harsh in dealing with people that aren't acting justly, who aren't doing rightly. And so God wants to temper that justice. He doesn't want me to be unjust, but he wants me to be merciful in the midst of exercising, well, what I understand to be right and, and just and, and proper. And so here's that picture in the person of Joseph. He was just, but he was also merciful. He was not willing to make her a public example. See, he only had a couple choices here. He could expose her sin, and that would have put her at risk of being stoned. He could have forbidden a certificate of divorce and not exposed her, but that would have still, well, that would have caused rumors to fly. Hey, he broke the engagement. He broke the betrothal. He didn't marry her. Something must have gone wrong. And Joseph wasn't willing to do that, you see. And so what he was going to do is give her the certificate of divorce. Now, that's really what it means when it says to put her away secretly. He would have written her a certificate saying, I divorce you. And among the conservatives in that culture, well, they would have had a real problem with that. But there were many liberals and they would have said, well, I probably didn't like her cooking or didn't like her mom or didn't like something. And, and he would have been letting her in a way off the hook. Justice and mercy, you see, met in Joseph. And it's interesting that well, the father would choose this man, Joseph, to raise his son, Jesus. Not Joseph's, the father, God the father's son. Because mercy and justice, they, they meet in Jesus. The one who was absolutely merciful so much so that he can say, I forgive all your sins, go and sin no more. But at the same time, he was just in that, well... If I confess my sin, if you confess your sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How so? Because he paid the penalty for our sin. He came to suffer and die. He came to go to the cross to shed his blood, to die for us. 
So how he came and what that means, he came miraculously before they were married fully, while they were espoused. Well, he found she was with child. One other thing, it's a side note, but it's important. If you're here and you're not married and you're living together and living as if you were married, and I meet people regularly in that category, so I bring it up. You're not married, you see, and uh, I would encourage you, if you want to live as married, get married. Now, I know that a lot of people are confused about this because people come up to me and they'd never come unless they were confused. And they say, well, we've been living together for a long time. Don't you think in the eyes of God we're married? And, and I've got to be totally honest. In the eyes of God, no, you're living in sin. That's really what it is, you see. And I would say to that, I'd say that to you in private. So, you know, this is a little painless because since you're not addressing me personally and no one knows who you might be, and I don't even know if there's one couple here, but I'd be surprised if there wasn't. But anyway, the bottom line is, if you're not married and you're living together, you're living in sin. My encouragement to you, if you love each other and you want to be together, get married. If you don't love each other and you're not going to be together, well, you need to separate then. Now, if you're in that category of people and there are a small group of them, well, maybe it's a large group. There were an awful lot in the 60s and 70s that say, well, we've been living so long together, we're actually legally married in California. There is such a thing as common law marriage. At least there was, and I believe there still is in this state. My encouragement to you, again, until you have the marriage license, you're not married. Until it's signed and some pastor or judge says, I pronounce you husband and wife, you're really not married. And so if you consider yourself married, just come in, tell Bud, tell me, we'll take you in the office, we'll do the thing, we'll make you legally married, see? Why do I bring it up? Because you don't want to continue living together as if you were married. It's a stumbling block to you, or should be. It's a stumbling block to those who know you. You tell them you're a Christian, you're growing in the Lord. Yeah, where you go? Calvary Chapel. Well, aren't you guys living together? Well, why is that a problem, you know? Well, it is, you see. And so, bottom line, Joseph knew it was a problem. He would have never moved in with Mary or shacked up with Mary. He was waiting for that wedding day, but now he's decided to put her away secretly. And while he thought about these things, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her of the Holy Spirit. Now, down in verse 25, he did not know her till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I skipped down there because I want you to see these words before and of the Holy Spirit until and firstborn. Those would not have any meaning if Jesus had been Joseph and Mary's only offspring. Now, as you know, Joseph was not Jesus' dad. But they did have children after. Jesus had brothers and sisters. We know that because at one point in the gospel, Mary comes with the brothers and they try to rescue him from himself. They get him some help because they're worried about him. They think he's lost it. He's going around saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Listen, when people come saying that kind of thing, if they're not Jesus, they are in trouble and do need help. 
but get it. His folks had trouble with all this. They had a hard time seeing it. Well, they should have known. But in any case, back to verse 21, why he came and what that means. She will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Already talked about the significance of the name, but here's the ministry. Here's the purpose. He will save his people from their sins. All this done that it might be fulfilled, spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. He will save. That word he is important. It's emphatic. He and he alone can save. He and he alone. The scripture says, if you have the son, you have the father. If you have not the son, you have not the father. If you're born again of the spirit of God, and that only comes through the son, well, then you have everlasting life. But if you simply believe stuff about Jesus and have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, well, then you don't have the Son. You don't have the Father. He hasn't saved you from your sins. So He and He alone can save. But it's not just He can save you from your sins. He will save you. That word speaks of the certainty of salvation, the assurance that we who know Jesus in a real and life-transforming way, the assurance of salvation we have in him. Mentioned it earlier, if we confess our sin, what does he promise to do? To forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. On what basis? He paid for our sins. He suffered and bled and died for us. Now I know for most of you, this is all, well, you know it. You've heard it. You've contemplated it. But the real question then becomes, well, if Jesus has saved me from my sins, well, what does that mean to me as a believer? If you are, in fact, a believer, you know he has saved you from the penalty of your sins. If you've never given your life to him, the wages of sin is death. And it's the gift of God that's everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so you need to give your life to Jesus today. It's not enough that you come to church. It's not enough that you sing the songs. It's not enough that you, you love the Bible studies even. You've got to know him in a, a life-transforming way. And so he will save his people from their sins. To be saved means you've been redeemed, means you've been rescued. It means you've been restored to the Father. You have a relationship with the one who made you and has a plan and purpose for you. He will save his people. Now, some have suggested that his people were just the Jews. That's what the Jews thought. That's why he included Gentiles in the genealogy. That's why in the Old Testament he made it clear, though they had trouble seeing it, he didn't come to die just for the Jews. No, he came to die for all men. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul will later write, there's no Jew or Gentile in Christ Jesus, no rich or poor or slave or free, no male or female. Now, he's not trying to blur those distinctions socially or temporally. 
He's just saying when we stand before God, it's not an issue. He's an equal opportunity Savior, you see. And all you got to do is say, Lord, I'm a guilty sinner. I want your salvation. I want your forgiveness. He will save his people from their sins. I already mentioned it. If you're a believer, that's a done deal, a finished work, a past reality. He has saved you from your sins. And if not, hey, give your life to him in a few moments when we give you an opportunity to, when we pray and and say, Lord, move on hearts. But, but here's the deal. Because most of you I know are Christians. At least that's what you tell me. And, and I'm taking you at your word. You need to know that he has more than deliverance from the penalty of sin. For we who are believers, it's deliverance from the power of sin. Redemption from the power of sin. And, and if you're struggling with anything... And maybe you've been struggling with it all your life or you thought you'd conquered it and it's reoccurring behavior, attitudes, thoughts, desires, actions. If anything has ensnared you and is encumbering you, is keeping you from filling, fulfilling the call on your life. Romans 6 says you are no longer a slave to sin. And I've talked to people and they say, man, you just don't know. I've, I've been addicted to this stuff for years. God says you are no longer a slave to that addiction. But I've been involved in this behavior for decades. He says you're no longer a slave to that behavior. But I've always thought this way. And my dad and his dad and his dad, you're no longer a slave to those thoughts. Romans 6 says you are free from the power that sin had over you and the sin that dominated you. And what I encourage you to do, if you are dealing with something that you're not conquering or you're thinking, man, I've heard it works, but it doesn't work for me. You take Romans 6 and you write it out word for word. And wherever the word sin appears, you write down what that thing is that you're struggling with. And then you read it back. And you read it today and you read it tomorrow and you read it day after tomorrow and you keep on reading it. And believe it. Because he's saying you're no longer a slave to those attitudes, actions, activities. No longer enslaved. You see, he's freed us from the penalty of sin, past tense. And from the power of sin, present tense. And then great news. Someday, from the very presence of sin, future tense. And how wonderful will it be to awake in his presence or to be awake and be snatched up, raptured into his presence. Never to contemplate sin again. Never to have to say, Father, forgive me or Jesus, oh, I can't believe I thought that or said that or did that or will never deal with it again. But until that day, until that day, well, we're category two saved, you see. Saved from the penalty of sin and saved from the power of sin, awaiting the glorious coming of our Lord, where we will be saved from the presence of sin. So today, where are you? If you know the Lord Jesus, listen. Are you merciful and just as Joseph was? Do you do the right thing because, well... You're sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and when God speaks, you hear and you respond. There are so many things the Lord could be saying to us. 
But I'm sure he's saying this. Listen, draw in, consider, and respond. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus, today is the day of salvation. Today is a genuine opportunity. The offer, it's on the table. And you have to make a decision. It's a done deal as far as his part. And now you have to say, Lord, I received your gift of forgiveness and of everlasting life. And I believe that you made it right and possible. It's, it's not only your mercy, but just that you forgive because you died for my sins. You were buried. You rose again. You shed your blood for me. And we're going to bow our heads and we're going to have a word of prayer and we're going to ask every believer to just be praying for any and all in our midst who are in the valley of decision, who need to make a decision, who need to get things right with the Lord. Joseph, Mary, Abraham, King David, all of these characters were not just that, not just characters in a long and winding story, but they were real people. People that you and I will get to meet in heaven. But more important than that, they're part of the story that brought us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please join us next time as we move into chapter 2 in the book of Matthew. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.